Section thirty one of Celebrated Crimes, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Carney. Celebrated Crimes, Volume One by Alexander Dumas. Translated by G. B. Ives. Section thirty one. The Chenchi, Part three after three or four months during which no one knew where he was francesco returned the very first night he wished to resume his intercourse with beatrice but she was no longer the same person the timid and submissive child had become a girl of decided will strong in her love for the abbey she resisted alike prayers threats and blows the wrath of francesco fell upon his wife whom he accused of betraying him he gave her a violent thrashing lucrezia petroni was a veritable roman she-wolf passionate alike in love and vengeance she endured all but pardoned nothing some days after this the abbe guerra arrived at the chenchi palace to carry out what had been arranged rich young noble and handsome everything would seem to promise him success yet he was rudely dismissed by francesco the first refusal did not daunt him he returned to the charge a second time and yet a third insisting upon the suitableness of such a union at length francesco losing patience told this obstinate lover that a reason existed why beatrice could be neither his wife nor any other man's guerra demanded what this reason was francesco replied because she is my mistress monsignor guerra turned pale at this answer although at first he did not believe a word of it but when he saw the smile with which francesco cenci accompanied his words he was compelled to believe that terrible though it was the truth had been spoken for three days he sought an interview with beatrice in vain at length he succeeded in finding her his last hope was her denial of this horrible story beatrice confessed all henceforth there was no human hope for the two lovers an impassable gulf separated them they parted bathed in tears promising to love one another always up to that time the two women had not formed any criminal resolution and possibly the tragical incident might never have happened had not francesco one night returned into his daughter's room and violently forced her into the commission of fresh crime henceforth the doom of francesco was irrevocably pronounced as we have said the mind of beatrice was susceptible to the best and the worst influences it could attain excellence and descend to guilt she went and told her mother of the fresh outrage she had undergone this roused in the heart of the other woman the sting of her own wrongs and stimulating each other's desire for revenge they decided upon the murder of francesco guerra was called in to this council of death his heart was a prey to hatred and revenge he undertook to communicate with giacomo cenci without whose concurrence the women would not act as he was the head of the family when his father was left out of account giacomo entered readily into the conspiracy it will be remembered what he had formerly suffered from his father since that time he had married and the close-fisted old man had left him with his wife and children to languish in poverty guerra's house was selected to meet in and 
concert matters. Giacomo hired a sbirro named Marzio, and Guerra, a second named Olimpio. Both these men had private reasons for committing the crime, one being actuated by love, the other by hatred. Marzio, who was in the service of Giacomo, had often seen Beatrice, and loved her, but with that silent and hopeless love which devours the soul. When he conceived that the proposed crime would draw him nearer to Beatrice, he accepted his part in it without any demur. As for Olimpio, he hated Francesco, because the latter had caused him to lose the post of Castellan of Rocco Petrella, a fortified stronghold in the kingdom of Naples, belonging to Prince Colonna. Almost every year Francesco Cenci spent some months at Rocco Petrella with his family, for Prince Colonna, a noble and magnificent but needy prince, had much esteem for Francesco, whose purse he found extremely useful. It had so happened that Francesco, being dissatisfied with Olimpio, complained about him to Prince Colonna, and he was dismissed. After several consultations between the Cenci family, the Abbey and the Zbiri, the following plan of action was decided upon. The period when Francesco Cenci was accustomed to go to Rocco Petrella was approaching. It was arranged that Olimpio, conversant with the district and its inhabitants, should collect a party of a dozen Neapolitan bandits and conceal them in a forest through which the travelers would have to pass. Upon a given signal, the whole family were to be seized and carried off. A heavy ransom was to be demanded, and the sons were to be sent back to Rome to raise the sum. But under pretext of inability to do so, they were to allow the time fixed by the bandits to lapse, when Francesca was to be put to death. Thus all suspicions of a plot would be avoided, and the real assassins would escape justice. This well-devised scheme was nevertheless unsuccessful. When Francesco left Rome, the scouts sent in advance by the conspirators could not find the bandits. The latter, not being warned beforehand, failed to come down before the passage of the travellers, who arrived safe and sound at Rocco Petrella. The bandits, after having patrolled the road in vain, came to the conclusion that their prey had escaped, and unwilling to stay any longer in a place where they had already spent a week, went off in quest of better luck elsewhere. Francesco had in the meantime settled down in the fortress, and to be more free to tyrannize over Lucrezia and Beatrice, sent back to Rome Giacomo and his two other sons. He then recommenced his infamous attempts upon Beatrice, and with such persistence that she resolved herself to accomplish the deed which at first she desired to entrust to other hands. Olimpio and Marzio, who had nothing to fear from justice, remained lurking about the castle. One day Beatrice saw them from a window, and made signs that she had something to communicate to them. The same night Olimpio, who, having been Castellan, knew all the approaches to the fortress, made his way there with his companion. Beatrice awaited them at a window which looked on to a secluded courtyard. She gave them letters which she had written to her brother and to Monsignor Guerra. The former was to approve, as he had done before, the murder of their father for she would do nothing without his sanction. As for Monsignor Guerra, he was to pay Olimpio a thousand piastres, half the stipulated sum. Marzio, acting out of pure love for Beatrice, whom he worshipped as a Madonna, 
which observing the girl gave him a handsome scarlet mantle trimmed with gold lace telling him to wear it for love of her as for the remaining moiety he was to be paid when the death of the old man had placed his wife and daughter in possession of his fortune the two sbirri departed and the imprisoned conspirators anxiously awaited their return on the day fixed they were seen again monsignor guerra had paid the thousand piastres and giacomo had given his consent nothing now stood in the way of the execution of this terrible deed which was fixed for the eighth of september the day of the nativity of the virgin but signora lucrezia a very devout person having noticed this circumstance would not be a party to the committal of a double sin the matter was therefore deferred till the next day the ninth that evening the ninth of september fifteen ninety eight the two women supping with the old man mixed some narcotic with his wine so adroitly that suspicious though he was he never detected it and having swallowed the potion soon fell into a deep sleep the evening previous marzio and olympio had been admitted into the castle where they had lain concealed all night and all day for as will be remembered the assassination would have been effected the day before had it not been for the religious scruples of signor lucrezia petroni towards midnight beatrice fetched them out of their hiding-place and took them to her father's chamber the door of which she herself opened the assassins entered and the two women awaited the issue in the room adjoining after a moment seeing the sbirri reappear pale and nerveless shaking their heads without speaking they at once inferred that nothing had been done what is the matter cried beatrice and what hinders you it is a cowardly act replied the assassins to kill a poor old man in his sleep at the thought of his age we were struck with pity then beatrice disdainfully raised her head and in a deep firm voice thus reproached him is it possible that you who pretend to be brave and strong have not the courage to kill a sleeping old man how would it be if he were awake and thus you steal our money very well since your cowardice compels me to do so i will kill my father myself but you will not long survive him hearing those words the sbiri felt ashamed of their irresolution and indicating by signs that they would fulfil their compact they entered the room accompanied by the two women as they had said a ray of moonlight shone through the open window and brought into prominence the tranquil face of the old man the sight of whose white hair so affected them this time they showed no mercy one of them carried two great nails such as those portrayed in pictures of the crucifixion the other bore a mallet the first placed a nail upright over the one of the old man's eyes the other struck it with a hammer and drove it into his head the throat was pierced in the same way with the second nail and thus the guilty soul stained throughout its career with crimes of violence was in its turn violently torn from the body which lay writhing on the floor where it had rolled the young girl then faithful to her word handed the sibiri a large purse containing the rest of the sum agreed upon and they left when they found themselves alone the women drew the nails out of the wounds wrapped the corpse in a sheet and dragged it through the room towards a small rampart intending to throw it down into a garden which had been allowed to run to waste 
they hoped that the old man's death would be attributed to his having accidentally fallen off the terrace on his way in the dark to a closet at the end of the gallery but their strength failed them when they reached the door of the last room and while resting there lucrezia perceived the two sbirri sharing the money before making their escape at her call they came to her carried the corpse to the rampart and from a spot pointed out by the women where the terrace was unfenced by any papare they threw it into an elder tree below whose branches retained it suspended when the body was found the following morning hanging in the branches of the elder tree everybody supposed as beatrice and her stepmother had foreseen stepping over the edge of the terrace in the dark had thus met his end the body was so scratched and disfigured that no one noticed the wounds made by the two nails the ladies as soon as the news was imparted to them came out from their rooms weeping and lamenting in so natural a manner as to disarm any suspicions the only person who formed any was a laundress to whom beatrice entrusted the sheet in which her father's body had been wrapped accounting for its bloody condition by a lame explanation which the laundress accepted without question or pretended to do so and immediately after the funeral the mourners returned to rome hoping at length to enjoy quietude and peace for some time indeed they did enjoy tranquillity perhaps poisoned by remorse but ere long retribution pursued them the court of naples hearing of the sudden and unexpected death of francesco cenci and conceiving some suspicions of violence dispatched a royal commissioner to petrella to exhume the body and to make minute inquiries if there appeared to be adequate grounds for doing so on his arrival all the domestics in the castle were placed under arrest and sent in chains to naples no incriminating proofs however were found except in the evidence of the laundress who deposed that beatrice had given her a blood-stained sheet to wash this clue led to terrible consequences for further questions she declared that she could not believe the explanation given to account for its condition the evidence was sent to the roman court but at that period it did not appear strong enough to warrant the arrest of the chenchi family who remained undisturbed for many months during which time the youngest boy died of the five brothers there only remained giacomo the eldest and bernardo the youngest but one nothing prevented them from escaping to venice or florence but they remained quietly in rome end of section thirty one